Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. I'm Mike Cacciopoli. Okay, I said it right. I said it right. I said the right year. <clears throat> Yesterday's show, the first show of the new year, I said 2022. I said 2022. And people who were listening to the replay must have said, where's this guy? A year ago? But I'm glad it only took me the second show to get the year right. Let's hope I can continue on this path and get the year right for the rest of this year. Yes, it is January 3rd, 2023. Okay, so it's a good start. <laughs> it's a good start to the show. Oh, what's going on? So much is going on. It's one of those days where it hasn't stopped all day long. It hasn't stopped all day long. I... Uh, woke up having hoped the Republicans had found a Speaker of the House. They have not. So the Speaker of the House is some guy who, a janitor named Joe. I think Joe something is the janitor of the, of the Capitol. He's no, I don't know. It, it is really the Speaker's like this clerk, I guess, a clerk that Pelosi, you know, put in charge. So it's, there's no Speaker. But right now, should something unfortunate happen to the president and vice president, this unknown clerk or whatever it is, whoever the Speaker of the House is, will become president of the United States. So, you know, it's one of those things. We might want to get this ironed out at some point this fucking decade. <clears throat> you know, yesterday I had spoken about this and I had said, well, you know, just get it done. Right. Just vote for McCarthy. But they're actually further apart than I thought they were. Because on the first two ballots, the way this thing works, you know, ballot system. And on the first ballot, McCarthy got 203 votes, which is 15 short. That's a lot. The second ballot, no movement, 203 votes. No one was moved. 15 on the third ballot, one of the 203 voted against him. So he had 202, which means he was 60. So he went backwards. And the reasoning is that the person who decides to vote against him in the third ballot said at some point, you, you got to, like, move on. If there's no movement and he's 15 away, you got to look for someone else. you got to vote for Jim Jordan or somebody else, right? So that's the, 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 the problem is being 16, as of tonight now, 16 votes away. 16 votes away, that's, that's, that's a lot. And remember, there are at least five Thalwarts, at least five who say, forget it. It's not happening. So that's a, it's a, the, math, the math is almost impossible, right? Because even if he were to get, um, mo even if he were to get most of those people, five would not move. And right now, I think he only used, he can only afford four to vote against him, right? Yes. So that fifth one, he could like somehow finagle his way to 217 was to leave him a vote short because of those five. Remember, there were 222, those five that won't vote for him. So, you know, here's the question here. And I'm, as I'm watching the cover today and I'm listening, I'm listening to both sides, right? I'm listening. I'm listening to both sides tell their story. The pro-McCarthy people and the anti-McCarthy people. The pro-McCarthy people on Twitter and the anti-McCarthy people on Twitter. I'm trying to get a measure of this whole thing, okay? So you could take the standpoint that these these few you know, holdouts are being uh, selfish. They want committee assignments. They want things done that, that, that they feel are important. 
um, the voters might not feel as important, but they feel as important. Um, uh, it, it could be the fact they think McCarthy is too much of a swamp creature. He's too much of the establishment. And they don't want the same old, same old again. I can understand that point of view, right? Look at this past bill where a lot of, where several Republicans voted with Democrats, right? On the spending bill. They don't want that to continue. They don't want this fractured caucus where you have these rhinos or these establishment, these, these swamp creatures just voting for the swamp, whatever that may be. And for swampy things like, like, like spending bills, like giving billions of dollars to Ukraine, just the usual swamp things that happen all the time. Big spending bills, giving a lot of money to other countries to fight their wars, that kind of thing. They want that kind of stuff to end. And they want a, a speaker who's going to stand for ending that stuff. Not for a speaker who's going to stand for continuing that stuff because that's just what they're used to. And they have a point. Like, no matter who's in charge, Democrats or Republicans, we get this establishment swampiness that goes on all the time. And who gets screwed? The people get screwed. You and I get screwed. So I can see that point of view. They want someone who's not such an establishment swampy creature, someone from the outside, right? Like a Donald Trump, but not Donald Trump, obviously. Um, like a Jim Jordan, who's more of an anti-establishment uh, guy, although he has supported McCarthy. He's actually saying, I don't want the damn job. Give it give it to McCarthy. So it's, it, I understand the fight. Then the people on McCarthy's side are saying they're just being selfish. They want their 15 minutes of fame. And uh, they, they don't have any real specifics of what they want. They don't have any real ideas of who they want other than McCarthy. So it's, it's this battle back and forth, right? And I can... In a way, I can understand both sides, and I can certainly understand the side of just get the fucking thing done. We have to have a speaker because then you have to have – you can't seat these people. You can't seat the elected Congress people until you have a speaker. You can't do any legislation. You can't do any – most importantly, any of these committee hearings. You can't do any of this stuff until you've got a speaker, and it makes it look like regardless if – if you want the point of view that this shows the Republicans have much more um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Credibility than Democrats, because the Republicans care about ending the swamp, but the Democrats don't care about ending the swamp, but the Democrats don't care about, you know, they, they don't care that there's no, another establishment figure at the head of their, at the head of their party. The Republicans do care about those kinds of things. So you can, you can give the Republicans a lot of credit for actually fighting to end business as usual, where Democrats pick a speaker so fast because business as usual is fine for them. Right. And so look at the way the Republicans didn't fix the 2016 presidential uh, primary where Democrats did fix the 2016 and 2020 presidential primary because they didn't want an outsider like Bernie Sanders, even though he's not a real outsider. This shows this shows how much the Democrats love the swamp and love the establishment that Bernie was too much of an outsider. He's been in Congress his whole fucking life, you know, so. Uh, but they wanted Hillary and Biden, right? And they fixed it for them. Well, the Republicans let the 2016 primary go, you know, fairly, even though they didn't want Trump. Most of the establishment people didn't want Trump. So you could look at the Republicans as having more credibility, more honesty, more integrity. That's the word I'm looking for. But to most people in this country, they can't do what I just did. They don't have the critical thinking, right, to say that. They just think it looks bad. And already the Democrats are running ads, showing the Republicans in disarray, right? And many Americans will believe this. They're not going to look at it and say, oh, the Republicans have integrity. They're fighting for what's right. At least there are some people in that party. They're not going to think that way. They're going to say, oh, look how fucking fucked up these Republicans are. Four years they're waiting for this, and they can't get it right on one.
right? So it looks bad. The optics are bad. Regardless, the optics are simply bad because most people in this country don't have the critical thinking ability to even spend, what I just spend, 90 seconds working this out. They're just going to look and say, oh, look, these Republicans are insane. They can't get anything together. So so the, the sooner they figure this out, the better. I think changing the rules so you can change the speaker more easily. I mean, it was impossible to get rid of Pelosi, right? It's like she was fucking nailed down to the fucking building. You couldn't get rid of her. So making it easier to get rid of the speaker, if you look at six, eight months, a year in, and the person's a disaster and not doing what you want them to do to lead the country forward, then you can change them. Okay, I think that's good. So if that's in place, I think they need to just pick somebody, pick somebody. If that person can be more easily replaced in the past, just pick somebody. All right. And then start the process of swearing people in and getting the committees going and all that stuff. But I can understand both sides. You know, I, I really can, you know, listening to, let's say, like Andy Good on the side of the anti-McCarthy or listening to, you know, Crenshaw, a guy on the pro-McCarthy side. I, c- I could really understand both sides. I can understand both sides. And the question is, is McCarthy a real swamp creature? I, I guess he's been there for a while. He doesn't actually, he never seemed like anti-establishment to me. He seems very milquetoast, mainstream. And that's what a lot of these people don't want any more of. They don't want the usual, you know, career politician types to be in charge anymore. And then they're not hearing the right things from these people. They're simply not hearing the right things from these people. So that is is, is part of the, the problem at this point. But once again, you've got McCarthy, who's now 16 votes away, right? 16 votes away. So how do you convince 16 people overnight to change their minds? Now, there's another process here, which I don't really understand mathematically, which has to do with members of the House, members of the Republican caucus just saying present or, or absent. And every present or absent vote knocks down the number he has to have. I don't know if it's not, but I don't understand the math to that. All right. I don't understand how many, if, how many people have to say present for the number to come down from 218. I don't really get it. And if someone votes present, it's not a vote for him. So let's say I vote present and it knocks the number down to 217. That takes my, my vote for him out of it anyway. So doesn't everything stay the same? I don't get it. I don't, I think, I don't know how you get it without changing the mind of enough people to get to 218. But evidently there's some other system, you know, that's in, in, in play that they can do that if they think this is going on too long, you know. And I think the record was 18, was it 1850 something where it took two, 60 days or 70 days? That can't happen now. I, mean, I think 1923 was the last time it didn't happen on the first ballot or the first day. But in 1850, I think it was, it took like two months that can't happen. That would be a total disaster, a total fucking disaster, especially, and we're going to get into the Twitter files, all these Twitter files that have come down, more that are coming down this, the entire week, dealing with Fauci. They cannot wait two months. They have to strike while the iron's hot. They have to strike while the iron's hot. So I'm really hoping that they can get this settled one way or the other. Look, I am total anti-establishment, anti-swampy, right? I, I am. This is why I could see the appeal of Donald Trump. I voted for Bernie twice. I'm not a, I, I, I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I wouldn't. I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I wouldn't because I'm not anti, I, I, I'm not pro-establishment. I'm not pro-political career politician swampy creatures. I don't like that. 
I think we need less of that. And I think these these anti-establishment Republicans are right. The people are the ones who lose with these swamp creatures because it's the same business over and over again. The D and the R are interchangeable. These are things I talk about on the show a lot that a lot of my these you know a lot of my callers talk about. The interchange how interchangeable the D and the R are, and, and a lot of these people want to change that. They want their party, the Republican Party, to stand for something. All right, something that they can actually say this is what we stand for. So we'll see what happens when we go into day two now. Um, we'll see if there's any kind of movement or if there's a change or if Jim Jordan just going to have to step up and run. And uh, and he might be able to get the 218 faster. This is going to be the you know, I said yesterday that this is going to be it'll be a very rare instance. It's almost like in, in, a, in a jury trial where there's, let's say, two people on one side and 10 on the other. I mean, the overwhelming majority of the time, the 10 get the two to come their way, right? The majority get the minority to come their way. Every once in a while, the minority, the two, get the 10 to come their way. That might happen this time. And often that happens. Why? Because of just people being tired, right? I'm not saying that's a good reason for it to happen, but that's often what happens. People get exhausted. And if the two have more intestinal fortitude than the 10, that can happen. And this is what might happen here. You might get these few holdouts getting everyone else to come their way and pick a different speaker. That's very likely to happen at this point. Unless McCarthy can do some fancy juggling behind the scenes. But I, I have I have concerns. I have concerns here about getting this done quickly. And uh and and the problem is if the longer it takes, the more it maybe hurts the credibility of the Republicans and therefore like hurts the credibility of these hearings that, that they want to have, that they, that they need to have. I mean, there was people were talking about having these hearings this week. Forget about that. Now they may not even have a speaker this week, let alone start holding these hearings and, and sending out the subpoenas this week. They can't do any of this stuff. They can't, they have no power. They have no power to do any of this stuff until it's official that they have control of the house. And this not, doesn't happen until everyone is sworn in until there's a speaker. So we'll see what happens, but this is kind of the worst time for this to happen. It really is the worst time for this kind of a thing to happen when we really need to get this shit going and the ball rolling. And once again, I do understand the idea of ending this perpetual sameness, right? <clears throat> and the idea that and if I can find clips, I'll play it. Matt, Matt Gates said something very interesting. Uh, and, 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 and so did another congressman uh, say something that I, uh, Trip, Trip Roy said something that I thought was, was right on target. And those are from the opposition to McCarthy. But um, they don't want to say, I think uh, I'll play the, Getz, the, the Matt Gates thing, but he said something like he doesn't want the hearings to be Benghazi all over again, which is that these, these hearings are just pro forma, right? All the stuff, whether it's investigating Hunter Biden's laptop or the censorship or COVID or Fauci, it's just all pro forma stuff. You know, we're doing it just to show we're doing it. And then that's it. It goes away. Nothing happens. There's no resolution. There's no real accountability. Matt Gates, I'll play the clip, said that today. And I thought that was 100% right and accurate. And he's afraid those that are con- – Matt Gates is afraid that if McCarthy is the speaker, we're going to get pro forma hearings. That McCarthy will only let them go so far and then say, okay, we did them. We did our job. Uh, we did our oversight. Let's move on. That can't fucking happen. 
because that's what happened with Benghazi, right, with Hillary. You know, nothing happened. They did a pro forma hearing. They said, okay, we give her a slap on the wrist and now we're over this. That's not, that cannot happen with this stuff, especially COVID and Fauci. It can't happen. So if that's what Matt Gates believes is going to happen, if Kevin McCarthy is the speaker, Kevin McCarthy can't be the speaker. Okay? It's got to be Jim Jordan or somebody else. Or Steve Scalise or somebody who's going to make sure these hearings that there's actual real accountability, real accountability. And if that means, you know, uh, prosecution, then it means prosecution. It has to go that, and I've never heard McCarthy say that, that he's willing to go that far. And we, they need to be willing to go that far. If the evidence points towards a person or persons should be prosecuted, then that's what needs to happen, okay? So... That's my side. That that would be, let's put it this way. If I were a congressman elect, if I were a congressman elect, that would be my, I, I, I'd speak to McCarthy and I'd say, let me ask you a question. What is going to happen with these, with these hearings? What is you, I want real accountability. And, and as I just, as I just explained it, that's what I want the possibility of. If the evidence points to that. And I want to make sure that he's on board with that. And I believe him. And if I don't believe him, I'm not going to vote for him because to me, that's what's important. And I believe that's also what's important to the American public. Two out of every three in the latest Harris X poll, people said they want these investigations to happen. So this is very important to the majority, the overwhelming majority of American people. These things are important. Real accountability is important. It's not just a fetish of a congressperson. So I think this this is very important. I, I would absolutely not vote for Kevin McCarthy if he expects these hearings to just be pro forma, you know, and that's it. So we'll see what happens. But that, that's my point of view here. That's my point of view here. Um, also, what happened today? Um, also, also, this idea. Hello, this is the heading of the show. Does made for a job mean you deserve it? Well, Kevin McCarthy has said that recently. He said, I'm, I'm meant to do this. This is what I've worked for. I've, this is my right to have this. Things like that, right? In other words, I'm made for this job. We've seen this before. Hillary Clinton said she was made to be president, right? It's her time. It, does made for a job mean you deserve that job? Because in life, I found the answer to that is no. I've known so many people who have resumes because they're really good at getting jobs, but they've had a lot of them because they're not really good at doing them. You see, there are people in this world who are really good at getting jobs. That's their forte, getting a job, but they're not good at actually doing the job. Then I know a lot of people who are great at doing a job when they happen to get one, which is rare because they're not good at getting the job. There's a lot that goes into getting the job. Connections, kissing ass, having a certain presentation. People are, Some people are very good at interviews, right? Some people are very good at interviews. Other people are not very good at interviews. And Daniel, I know you, you're chomping. I'll get to you in one second. But people are, are not – some people are not good at interviews. But I've known people like this in life. I'm not going to tell you which side I am. Maybe you can guess. But, but uh, there are people I know who have been really good at getting jobs. I mean, they often, they, they call them, what do you call them? Jumping into people's graves. And there's people who, when someone leaves a job or dies, they're right on it. They want to get into it. This, this is very big in the, in the TV and radio business, you know, and uh, 
communications business and it it is people look and they they go on they see someone oh this guy's at the job because people keep those jobs forever because they're great jobs you don't want to lose them i know people go oh my god i go back to new york and i'll watch a tv station i'll say holy shit this guy had this job when i was a teenager this woman had this job when i was a teenager because they don't want to leave them because they pay good money and they're they're easy they're not real jobs they're not they're easy so i know people who are just really good at giving that interview. They're so good at giving that interview. They're so good at going out and, and hustling and finding the jobs, finding the place to interview for, doing good interviews, presenting themselves well, but they're not particularly good when they get it. And so they move on to the next thing, right? Because after a while, people catch up on their thing. They go, oh, it's not very good. You know, the, the boss realizes after a while, this person's not very good at their job and they get fired and they move on to another job that they're very good at getting. So this whole idea of I'm made for this, I'm prepared for this, doesn't mean you're going to do a good job. The proof is in the pudding, right? Look at Nancy Pelosi. Who else is – could be more made for something, yet she's a disaster. She's a disaster. And there are a lot of those disasters. Look at Joe Biden, right? How many jobs – he's been able to get a lot of good jobs, right, through the last half century. But he's not very good at them. And so this happens in life a lot, especially in certain businesses. So this whole idea of uh, of Kevin McCarthy saying, well, I'm made for this, I'm groomed for this, it's my time, it doesn't mean he's going to be good at what he does. In fact, he'd be very detrimental in that position. I think more goes into just being, saying, I put in my dues. You know, I put in my dues and I'm ready. Eh, I don't know. Sometimes you can take a person off the street. And look, you know, I know this is maybe going a little bit on tangent, but if you look at like shows like these new shows that have uh, become very popular over the last decade, like, uh, uh, you know, American Idol and uh, The Voice and all these things where these regular people just all of a sudden have an outlet, right, where they where they, they go on a show and like, holy shit, this person's talented. Well, think of before this time, this new media time, all this great all these great talented people who have been out there who haven't had the outlet come from small towns, don't have a lot of connections, don't have a lot of money, come from these small towns and, and can't make it. All this incredible talent. More, many, you see people on these shows that are more talented than most people in, in, the, in the business now making millions of dollars a year, right? But now there's an outlet for that where there wasn't in, in the past. So you think of that untapped talent, right? And there's a lot of that going on. But there are certain people who have certain connections that have been able to use that and able to hustle and get into a certain position in life where they say, okay, I'm, I'm made for this. I'm meant for this. And usually when people make those proclamations, they're not. They're usually, the, they're usually a disaster, right? Um, doth protest too much, whatever you want to call it. And, and so this whole idea of McCarthy having the resume right, and being well-groomed and prepared especially in politics, maybe you're too groomed, you know, maybe you're too much establishment, maybe you're too swampy, and maybe we want less of that now. So maybe someone like Jim Jordan, right, who, who, who has enough experience under his belt, yet, you know, not a lifetime politician. What was the guy, a wrestling coach or whatever? You know, it's like a little bit outsider, a little bit of an outsider who, who, who fell into this position or got this position, has enough experience, yet is not totally, perfectly 
hair perfect groomed to be in this position. Maybe that's the way they should go now. Once again, because he has less experience or less of a resume in this area than Kevin McCarthy, I don't think that makes him less equipped necessarily to do this job better than Kevin McCarthy. Once again, I've seen this in real life and we see this in politics. This whole idea of I'm good at getting the job. I'm good at getting jobs. I'm well prepared for this. Does not necessarily mean you're going to do the job better than somebody else or that you're going to do a, a good job at all. Um, there's more to get into. I, I will go to Daniel in a minute, but I do want to get to the new Twitter files. I mean, these new Twitter files, I think, can be more damning than anything we've seen so far, right? This is a new one by Matt Taibbi put out, put out earlier today. It's called Twitter and the FBI Belly Button. And this goes deep and it goes into shifty shift. I always hated shifty shift, those eyes. How can anyone look at those eyes and not be totally creeped out? I mean, my skin crawls every time I see Adam Schiff's eyes. He's such a he's such a slimy, shifty individual. He's got the perfect name. And uh, the Twitter files that came out earlier today show what a what a shifty talk about establishment swamp creature Adam Schiff is. And I'll get to that in a minute, but I do want to get to uh, to Daniel. Daniel, I'm, and I bet you in your business you've seen the same thing I've seen, right? People who just are really good at getting positions. Really good at getting job, doing those jobs, right? Yeah, there's a there's a name for it. It's uh, called the Peter Principle. The who? The Peter, Peter Principle. Principle. Peter Principle. Go ahead. Do you, do you know the Peter Principle? Not really. No. Well, you can it, tell it's, me. it's it's um it was I think it was part of a, a a book. I can't remember the author, but it basically says that. Um, individuals rise to their level of incompetence. Um, <laughs> I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's- and, and, and you see it, uh, it's florid in the tech industry. I mean, I know a number of people that work in the tech industry in San Francisco here. It's absolutely florid there. Um, if, if you um, stay in a particular position for over two years, they see you as a loser. Um and the reason is, is because not the, not the reason that they, they see you as a loser, but the reason that people are moving from job to job is, is precisely the reason you said that so few of them have any real skills. I mean, the, the, those those who are, are writing code. Um, remember, remember how uh, Elon got together um, all the uh, people that were writing code, sent out a memo and said, anyone that actually writes code, come to whatever room it was. We're going to have a meeting. And there weren't a whole lot that showed up out of the many employer, uh, many employees at Twitter. But um, so there's a lot of people in the tech industry that, that uh, they have no skills. And um, and so their prime motivation is to climb. Um, whatever hierarchy they can climb, and they know damn well that they have to move on before they demonstrate that they have no skills. Yeah, and, you know, I often talk about the man I work for, uh, I work with in uh, in radio, in WABC, his name was Bob Grant, um, and uh, my, the talk show host who I worked with for five years, and he said something to me that, that it's the most interesting thing I've ever heard, probably the best, the best advice I've ever been told. And he said, Mike, it's not really whether you do a, a good job or not. That's not, that, the, it's not, that's not really what, what people care about. It's does your boss like you? Does your boss like you? And I've seen that so many times play out since in the 
35 years since he told me that, 30 years since he told me that, where it's like people don't do a very good job. They do. They're mediocre. You can't you can't be totally incompetent, but you can be yeah, yeah mediocre. OK, but if your boss likes you personally, you're in like Flynn, baby, or you could be pretty fucking good at what you do. Maybe not the best, but pretty good at what you do. But if if your boss has something, if there's something about you that boss doesn't like, you're out, you're gone. They'll find a reason to get rid of you. I've seen that so many times in life, so many times. And so there are just some people who know how to suck up, man. There are some people who are just good, you know, playing to that psychology of their boss, where the boss wants to be loved and liked and stroked and told how what a great boss they are. And there are people who are really good at that and doing it in ways where the boss doesn't even know they're being played. I think everybody that has ever worked more than six months in their life has, has seen exactly that play out. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where the, the suck-ups uh, um, are um, front and center when, when it comes to uh, um, promotions. Um, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. But the, on, on the flip side, um, the suck-ups ultimately fail. And, and um, it's, it's kind of a tortoise and a hare race. And the suck-ups on, on – I see this over and over again, once again, in the tech industry, where the, these people that are trying to climb the hierarchy before they're found out, um, they ultimately fail. And they fail catastrophically. So, so yeah, it's kind of a turtle in the hair thing going on here. Um, I, I would like to talk about something that is, that is near and dear to me and a transition that happened uh, in my thinking just this evening. And if, um, if you don't want to talk about this, I'll understand if you want to keep uh, the discussion on track with. Uh, you tell me you think the vaccines are the greatest thing ever invented, right? Is that no, 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 of course not. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Best, talk, whatever best... you want. talk about whatever you want. I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, this has to do with a, a recent trip this evening. Um, I was I was totally out of groceries. I've never been this low on groceries, um, and so I, I went to Trader Joe's after getting exercise this evening. And I walk into Trader Joe's, and it was rather busy for, for the more busy than I usually see the uh, marina area at uh, Trader Joe's in San Francisco, uh, or, or the uh, wharf area at Trader Joe's in San Francisco. Um, and the shelves, I struck immediately. The shelves are bare. I mean, there was. I, I wanted to make some some chili for this week. No kidney beans, no pinto beans, no black beans, no tortillas, no. I mean, I can go down this huge freaking long list of. I mean, just is one third of the shelf space. Oh, welcome to Joe Biden's America. Was was bare, and so I go. I stopped one of the employees and I said, "What's going on here? Why are the shelves bare?" And he says, "Panic buying." And I said, panic buying because of what? And he says, the storm that's coming. Oh, come on. I don't believe that for a second. No, Mike. Were you, were you at a grocery store this evening? Uh, no, I wasn't at a grocery store, but I have yeah, been told. No, listen, listen, but I've been told by someone I know that has gone to Safeway lately that Safeway doesn't have anything. But No, not- no, no, no. I was at Trader Joe's maybe two days ago, just picked up like one item. That, that I wanted entirely stocked as usual, entirely stocked. Well, they, you, Trader Joe's is usually pretty good stocking things. I have to admit, I've been there a few oh, times. Oh yeah, they're they're top. They're right on it when it comes to stocking. Every time um, I'm there shopping, they're always stocking as I'm shopping. Yeah, they they stock during the day as opposed to Safeway, which mostly stocks during the evening. Right. Uh, Trader right. Joe's is stocking all day long. Um, this is extremely unusual. They're, they're um, panic buying for a rainstorm. 
And this is because of the quote-unquote atmospheric river. Well, who cares? This, this is how pathetic San Francisco is. Is is they are panic buying over rain. They are literally panic buying over rain. They think that we are going to have some sort of catastrophic Noah's flood tomorrow. Apparently, I kid you not, Mike. These well, the, the one third of the shelves in Trader yes. Joe is empty. It wasn't that way just two days ago. And I bet you if you went to Safeway, you would see the same thing this evening. Uh, people are nuts. And they were running around, um, uh, pushing each other with, with their carts, you know, like those days in that first two weeks of panic buying with the 15 days to slow the spread nonsense. It was very similar vibe to that tonight in, in the Trader Joe's. Um, it was freakish. And but this is not the first time they've predicted one to two inches of rain in the city. So big deal. Of course, it's no big deal. That is what's so freakish about the whole thing. And, and that is what, that, and so tonight, I just said to myself as I'm walking at Trader Joe's, um, looking back at these empty shelves, I said, because many times on this show, many times I've said to myself, I am still a liberal. Um, but but uh, um, uh, the Democratic Party has become completely liberal, and so now I'm partyless. I, I have had it. I, I have. Well, I'm, I'm, done, I'm done with liberals. I Daniel, am done with this the pussy. in every liberal city. But usually, I am, I am usually. done with liberals. I am no, done with the pussification. Yeah, of our the culture. pussification. But this has been. But this happened. This has been happening from from for forever in many liberal cities. But but. I have to admit, it's usually snow. It's usually snowstorms that do this, that do this panic. Have you, never in my life. I've lived in California for 50, 52 years of my 65 years on this planet. And <laughs> never in California have I ever seen panic buying because of rain. No. Now they've got the, now these people are running around and they're screaming atmospheric river, atmospheric river. And I'm going, oh, you mean rain? I know. And and it's working them up and it's working them up via social contagion on the Internet Uh, into this this frenzy. I think there's a difference between now and three years ago, four years ago. And that's the covid I think people now panic about everything since March. Everything. Exactly. They are looking for a reason to panic about everything. It's it's almost as though they're trying to, and this is what my suspicion was this evening, it's almost as though they're trying to erase parts of their guilty conscience for COVID. They want to move on to the next thing to get hysterical about, the next thing to panic about, the next tragedy. They want to move on so that they can forget themselves and hope that we forget what they did. I suppose. I mean, t- to me, it's just a matter of that people now, you said the pussification. I, I get that also. But the people now, they're just, they're just trained to panic about everything. They're just tra- Look, the word, the term river, I've heard that every winter here, they, at least five or six times a winter, they say it. So I've heard yeah. it 50, 60 times since I've lived here. So why now? Well, I think you put your finger on it. I think it's simply because people panic more now and the media has now discovered they've discovered and they I think they get they get off on this, making people panic. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We 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 have a huge health problem in this country and it's social contagion. And 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 I will not 
be surprised one bit if within a year's time, the Surgeon General of, of the United States is naming social contagion as our number one health problem. It is what fueled COVID, panisteria. It is what is going to fuel many, many similar hysterias that we're going to see. It's what's fueling this gender transition nonsense that's going on right now that is going to end up hurting tens of thousands of kids. Um, and they're going to be wondering in a few years' times of how they possibly could have allowed the Internet, basically, to convince them that they should have their perfectly healthy genitals and breasts amputated. And, and this, is, this, is, this is insane. This is insanity. And this is what happens when a new technology comes along like, like we have. And we as human beings have not evolved to deal with this. I've said this numerous, numerous times. We simply have not evolved to deal with this kind of technology. And it is going to be very disruptive to us on very, very fundamental levels until we get a handle on this. And we should all be very mindful of this. If you're not mindful of it, it is going to cause tremendous damage in your lives and in your community. Um, so we got to get a handle on this. And, and like I said, I this is it. I, tonight, I decided I'm no longer a liberal. Um, I, I, I see liberal <laughs> it identity. Tonight. It happened way before tonight, man. No, it it's, it's been a slow transition, but this, this is the last straw. And I basically have said to, said to myself that I, you know, there's one thing that I can't stand more than anything else, and that is weakness that hurts other human beings. Well, go to go to North Dakota or South Dakota or Montana and see if they see if they tremble when they when they predict two feet of snow. See exactly, they, exactly, exactly. I know. Exactly. I know. You know what the excuse of an when you culture. say that when you say that people go, oh, it, no, people here aren't used to it. They're not used to it. No, no, no. They're pussies here. They're liberal pussies. That's it's not that's... snow. It's rain. I know. Cal California, I know. It, it rains every single year. And and, and these people <laughs> are panic buying because it's going to rain as though, as it has done every year, except for, you know, a little bit less in drought years. But <laughs> they're panic buying because of rain. Literally well, you, know, you, know, rain. you know what stuns me about people in city? Look, it's not just here. It's not just San Francisco. Where, you know, like you say, until recently, it, it, the winters have been pretty rainy here. People here should be used to rain. But it also happens in like Seattle and Portland where it rains like every other day for seven months. Why can't people who are used to rain drive in the rain? That's another question I have. Why can't people who are used to rain drive in the goddamn rain? It, it, it drives me crazy. It's like I could see if it's your first time, if you're from uh, if you're from uh, Phoenix or, you know, if you're from this very dry area and you move here and it's your first rainstorm. But people who have <laughs> lived here their whole lives still can't drive in the rain. After when you a while, say they can't after drive, a while, you don't mean, you learn? Don't you learn? You say they can't, yeah, when you say they can't drive, do you mean they're no good at it or do you mean that they simply won't drive? No, the they're rain? no good at it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah, that's kind of odd that someone wouldn't learn from experience. <laughs> no, they don't learn from experience. Yeah. They don't. There's no no. There's no learning curve when it comes to people driving in the rain, and I, I don't I don't get it. Once again, I guarantee you, I've been there. Go to Buffalo, go to go to South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, and these people can drive in the snow. They can drive at Montreal, where I live for two years. They can drive in the friggin' blizzard. People here can't drive in a, in a rainstorm. It's sad. It really, it's sad. It's kind of pathetic. 
Yep. Yep. Well, we've got, um, you know, that's the main thing I wanted to relate to you is this evening is, is I'm done. I'm done with calling myself a, a liberal. I, I no longer want to be associated with these flaming pussies. I just don't want to. That weak kind of weakness has hurt too many people over the last three years, and I will not tolerate any more of that weakness in my life or around me. I'm done. I am simply and done. This is with what that. happens when Daniel can't find his uh, his kale tofu salad. It throws you. It makes you go crazy. Right. No, I just wanted kidney beans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the kale tofu salad was gone too, especially in San Francisco. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't find any kale. There was no kale to be found. I'm preferable to their tuna nichois salad. They have a really good, which probably were out of, tuna yeah. nichois salad in Trader Joe's. Yeah. With yeah, potatoes. So we're going to be. We're, we're going to be uh, getting a lot of interesting information on the Twitter dumps. Um, we're getting some right now. I'm, 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 as soon as I'm done listening to your show, I'm going to be reading a t- t- um, one of the, the new ones that came from uh, uh, – there's two from Matt Taibbi today and one from Alex Bernson. And the one from Taibbi uh, earlier today, we um, learned that the U.S. That US senators and government agencies pressured uh, Twitter to find Russian propaganda that simply wasn't there. Well, the one I'm going to read today is the one that has to do with Shifty Shift. Shifty Shift, who wanted a certain reporter banned. This is called Twitter and the FBI belly button. And this is on Matt Taibbi's Substack. Oh, yeah. Today. Yeah, that's, that's the one that I'm just about to get to. That's, there was another yeah, Matt Taibbi one. I'm going to read that. I do recommend, by the way, I recommend two things to people. Two things. Go to Matt Taibbi's, go to the Substack pages of these people who write the Twitter files because they, they, they yeah. condense it. They really talk about it in a more you know, in a more conveniently readable way on their, on their sub stacks. And also there's a, there's a, I believe there's a, there's a, there's a Twitter page so you can follow on Twitter and it's, it, it's all about threads. It's like, it's called Twitter thread feed or something. And they, they organize it in a more readable way. Cause sometimes, sometimes it's tough to go through these threads because people comment on them. Then you have to skip the comments and it's a pain in the ass sometimes, but I will, I will read Matt Taibbi's um, sub stack here shortly. But yeah, this yeah, is, this there's, is getting, there, it's, it's getting it's getting worse and worse, Daniel. I mean, this this is getting worse and worse. It's getting yeah, worse there, and there, worse. But, but just so you know, there was there was two um, Matt Toy Taibbi um, dumps today on Twitter. Right, there were two. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I haven't re- I haven't read the belly button one yet, which I'm going to. And if you're going to go read that, you will save me save me the time of doing. It. But so I'm yeah. g- I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna end uh, with um with that on that note, and yeah. uh, and uh, hope hopefully a Gator as usual has something interesting to to add to the discussion. Uh, talk to you later. Okay, take it easy, Daniel. Thanks. 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 Gator. Gator's up next. Gator. Um, do you find Pat? Predicting rainstorm there. Say again. Do you, do you see panic buying when they predict a rainstorm in London or a snowstorm? People go to the. No, em- embarrassingly, the last big panic buy was um, toilet paper going into COVID. Oh, well, that was that was worldwide. That was a worldwide run. I mean, on toilet paper. If you that think was... about this, though, think, think about how how little thinking goes into that. It's like. If you have a shower or you have or you're blessed with the room and have a B day, what do you need toilet paper for? I, I don't the the toilet paper thing at the beginning when when I saw it happening in real time in March of twenty twenty, I thought, is diarrhea 
a symptom of COVID. Then I went on <laughs> and I looked and there was no symptom of COVID that was diarrhea. I mean, people were making that up, but it wasn't. There was really no symptom of COVID. So I'm thinking, okay, so if the symptom of COVID isn't diarrhea, why are people buying toilet paper? Then I thought, well, I think the reason is, is because they believe, in other words, Person A believes person B is going to buy it, panic buy. And person yeah. B believes person A is going to panic buy. So everyone wants to get it before it sells out because they're all fucking insane and they're all going to yeah. panic buy. That's the problem. And people thought, well, what's the one thing I don't want to sell out? And that's toilet paper. What's the one thing I need that I can't? Like Daniel didn't get his kidney beans. Okay, you're not going to, you don't need kidney beans. Although Daniel might disagree with me on that, but you don't need kidney beans to survive, but hell, you need toilet paper. So that's what it don't. was. It was like, it was a, like Daniel said, it was a contagion. That Why don't you just it. wash your ass? Does it, people hey, are again. all over the world. What did you that. say? Why, why didn't you just wash your ass? What, and don't, what, what do you use to dry it? Well, if it's clean, then you, whatever you would when you came out of the shower. <laughs> I don't know how convenient that is, but I like the idea. Still, it, it's a survival tactic that it's means you don't need tactic. to buy yeah. toilet but paper. But the whole idea is it's like one person panics, then the other person panics. Of course, panics, but and, oh, person... Hang on, no, no, there was another panic buy. So literally, last summer, the British public were literally triggered by deliberate rumours put out in the press that there might be a fuel shortage. There wasn't a fuel shortage, but the British public triggered one, all because The Guardian began a rumour that there could be a diesel shortage because of a possible shortfall in heavy goods truck drivers due to Brexit. And there wasn't actually a problem until people started panic buying fuel. And then yeah. there became a problem, right? That shows yeah, you problem. Yes, the media deliberately did something that they should be uh, actually publicly liable for, which is to cause a fuel run. And B, people fell for it because they didn't read. They couldn't literally read the articles in the correct way. Right. All they read was the superficial. I mean, what you'll see this loads when you when you, it's so easy to see people's poor reading skills. Right. Because they can never, when you when you watch them read something and then you listen to them talk about what was what was written, they they never tell you. Lots of people never tell you what the article really says, and they never bring um, reading comprehension analytics into what they're reading. Right? These articles said they didn't. They they were deliberately ambiguous, but they were also loaded emotionally towards thinking that there could be a problem caused by Brexit and the political angle in it essentially was to hammer the government for another Brexit fuck up. But right. the problem was that superficially it said fuel might run out. Well, it's, like, it's actually, if you read the article, it's like, no, fuel isn't guaranteed to run out at all. It's just that there's a short, there's a potential shortage of certain skill sets, but that doesn't mean to say fuel is going to run out. There's loads of other contingent factors. And one of those contingent factors is the level of demand. So people were literally in queues to top up, like just to top up. It's like, well, why the fuck would you do that? If you've got a three quarters of a tank of fuel for the, and that'll last you a week, what do you need to go and get an extra quarter of fuel for? And, and that's how stupid people are. And they're so, so easily triggered because they can't read properly. Right. And you know, what, what can you do about that? Nothing. You just have to tolerate it. But my point is that if you are now in a situation where you can look around and think, what's the next panic? What are people likely to react in a knee-jerk way to? If you're able to do that, you can do two things. You can predict that behavior and get ahead of the curve. 
and you can trade that behavior as well right whether that means that if you saw covid coming and you bought loads of isopropyl alcohol and then basically sold it all as hand cleaner at 10 times the price if you're able to do that and gouge the market then you in some way you deserve those rewards and you can do the same thing in the markets you just look at what the next panic is and then you position money in ahead of that curve in wherever wherever is appropriate whether that's commodities or whether that's you know a particular service providing companies or whatever you know or you're simply just buying your trading oil prices when they collapse and then go back up you know all of this stuff is is how you can capitalize on 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 the obvious stupid behavior of human beings right absolutely yeah yeah a- absolutely but you know th- this 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 panic buying thing it's so ridiculous because once again, how I talk about how people here in San Francisco are used to the rain. They can't drive in the rain. They don't adapt to it. 99 out of 100 times, maybe 100 of 100 times, this panic buying, it doesn't, the, the panic doesn't play out. The idea of the reasoning for the panic doesn't play out, whether it's a huge snowstorm or a huge rainstorm or floods. or It doesn't get to the point where they, they say, you know, we're going to have a big snowstorm. People assume that means everything's going to be closed for a week because everything's going to be snowed in. Or there's this big rainstorm coming and people assume there's going to be these floods and they won't be able to get anywhere. And that never happens. And this happens over and over again. Where, you know, it's when, does the, when does that boy that cried wolf syndrome actually kick in? And people say, oh, my God, I, I, I keep every time you say there's a big snowstorm, it doesn't pan out. Every time you say there's this big rainstorm, it doesn't pan out. When, when are they going to – do people ever learn? It seems like they just make, once again, it's the definition of insanity, right? Same mistakes over and over again. And, of course, we've seen this with COVID, with masking and lockdowns and all this, and vaccines, right? Doesn't work. Let's keep doing it. It's absolutely crazy. But it seems like this is what, what it's come down to now. People simply don't learn from not, when I say past errors, I'm not talking about years and years ago. I'm talking about, like, recently. I'm talking about how about last winter? How about last mm-hmm. snowy season? How about last rainy season when the three or four times they said, oh, my God, the, the sky is falling, and it never did. People don't seem to ever – you know, people seem to think this time it's going to happen, right? This time it's going to – this time the masks are going to work. This time jab seven is going to be the jab, right? Oh, this time this storm is going to be the storm of all storms. I better be prepared. And this goes on and on and on, and it really is an insane cycle. It's 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 something else to watch, and we can do a whole sociology experiment on this stuff. But it's just, I, I, I'm the opposite. You see, I don't believe anything I hear anymore. <laughs> so if there's a real disaster, I'm not going to be prepared because I'm yeah. I, don't, I don't care what they say anymore. I, the boy that cried wolf syndrome that that's I mean that's well past for me on all of this stuff when it comes to media hype. I don't believe anything anymore, you know. So. Oh. But there's a there's a mantra that is essentially you should not believe anything you, the the government tells you. Quite the opposite. It's like that that applies to Dennis Cartman and it applies to government as well. I can't think of a single message that my government has ever said to me that turned out to be true and worth listening to. Right? And, and you can extend that to the government to the media, since most of the media is well, of course, yeah, right. Now, so, unfortunately, so, you know. So, but also on the driving thing, there's one thing to take into account, right? Once you pass your driving test, when when do you next ever have a, a driving lesson that upskills you by learning off somebody else? You don't. Exactly. Yeah. So whatever level of skill you had when you passed your driving lesson does not change unless your 
ability to experience and absorb that experience and assimilate it and then build itself, build on itself is there. And lots of people have shit ability at doing that, right? And also in a heavy, in very heavy rain, not everybody is going to go driving in those conditions to then ultimately learn something, right? And so you can't expect everybody's driving to be good. I mean, you can literally go. The funniest thing about driving is this. You, you, you get that basic license, which only tells you really how to operate the car. It doesn't really tell you actually how to drive, right? You kind of learn that once you got your license, right? Yeah. But, but it, under those conditions, every single person with a driving license is licensed to operate a totally lethal weapon that can take out the side of a house or an entire family. And yet nobody's ever repeatedly tested or upskilled from that point. And you can then get into a car that will go 0 to 60 in two seconds, a Tesla. Right, and, <laughs> and 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 nobody nobody bats an eyelid. You can't do that in flying, right? No, at all. No, absolutely not. Absolutely so don't not. be too disappointed with people shit driving. It's just a fact of life. No, it is a fact. I understand that. I understand it's a fact of life. But it, it, it's just, I don't. I truly don't get it. Once again, I I I, I want to admit something. I want to admit something to the world, or at least people listening. I don't drive. I don't drive. Good for I, you. I, I don't drive. I've never had. I, and when I say I don't drive, people, it's funny. In life, when I say to people I don't drive, they go, oh, you haven't driven in a while? No, no, you don't understand. I don't have a license. I never got a license to drive. And they go, oh, my God. How could you be 51 and never have gotten a license to drive? Well, uh, I lived in, uh, when I was a kid, I lived in New York City. Then I lived in, like, uh, Montreal. I lived in, like, uh, Seattle. I've lived in all these cities where Vegas even because I, I, I really centered myself well, I didn't need a car. And then I, and now recently, I'm thinking to myself, well, should I get a car? I'm in San Francisco. No. Now there's Uber and Lyft, which is, for the amount of times I go places, is cheaper than having to have a car, sure. buy a car, have it in a major city. We have to pay for parking. Where parking in a major city is like rent in most cities in the country to live. Um, insurance. Why would I do all that? Yeah. When I can just pay you know, fifteen, sixteen dollars round trip to go somewhere in Uber or Lyft every once in a while. It makes no, mm. it makes less sense for me to have a car now than it ever did in my life. So, no, I've never gotten a license. I don't intend to. Uh, I don't know where life's going to take me, but with Uber and Lyft, I, I don't intend to, unless I, for some reason, live in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I don't drive. But what I don't understand is I do other things and I learn in life. I adjust. Things happen. I learn from doing things over and over again. And I don't get it. And I think to myself, my God, it's good I don't drive because as the passenger, I want to get out of the car and strangle people to death. So my road rage <laughs> as the driver would be so fucking bad. I get arrested over and over again. I don't. Why would I do that to myself? Because people annoy me so much. I think you've been driving for 20 years, 30 years, and you can't drive in light rain. You don't know how to drive in safe, safely in, in rain. I, I think... What the fuck? So I get so upset that I know I could. I don't have the temperament to have a license. I don't. I, you're. Are you? I asked it before. You have to excuse me. You're not in London property. You're outside London, right? Yeah, I'm outside London. Yeah. Okay. So are you in an area where you really have to drive? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You do. You have to. So you're not. It's not like you're in downtown London. No. And and to, to get to work, everything it wouldn't. I wouldn't. It wouldn't be feasible for me to. Have you? Have cars. you ever? Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm doing an interview. Have you ever lived in downtown London? Yeah, I used to live in. 
central London, and it was good because um, so I worked in central London. And I lived in the outs, uh, well, in the in zone edge of zone two, right? So I used to be able to run to work or cycle to work and then run at lunchtime. I was super fit, so I'd do a five mile run to work and then a five mile back. Or when I decided to cycle, I'd then do a ten kilometer run at lunchtime. Ah, now you um, now you now now you're now you're now you're you're you're, you're uh... Um, really turning Daniel on because Daniel <laughs> Daniel walks fifteen miles a day. Good for him. So, yeah. so the thing about that was that but, you that, all, but, that that basically you you integrated because of the city was like that. And once you became willing to do that and fit enough to do it, and then on the on the shit days that, you did, that was really terrible weather or you didn't feel like it, you could always jump on the tube, right? Um, you your your you, uh, um, your major part of your fitness was integrated into actually like the practical side of your life because because London was set up for that. Whereas once you start living in the suburbs, you know, when, when I moved out of London and moved back to a different city and was in the suburbs of that city, I kind of ended up defaulting to using the car all the time, which, and then, you know, and then, then you have to build your fitness into an extra time block sort of thing. So yeah, I, I did enjoy it for that. I really enjoyed living in London for that kind of, those, some of those aspects. Yeah, I'm sure. And once again, London, you don't need a car, you know, you don't, yeah. Need a car, but I'm hoping that in London, where it rains a shitload, I'm hoping people know how to drive. I don't know. Are they better there than they are here because they can't? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, generally speaking, I think people are reasonable drivers here. I mean, what we do, though, is a bit shit in the sense that we sit in the the fast lane of the motorway, even when you shouldn't. So you can't overtake. People just sit in the middle in the fast lane when they should all be over to the left. But that's just a bugbear. But um, what is it? The... Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but can we just briefly go back to your original point about political jobs? Go ahead. Yeah. I, I just think that the question you have to ask yourself is, what is the published job spec of any politician? There isn't one, right? It's all about trying to join a party and then essentially trying to network inside that party until for some reason people above you basically like you enough and you fit tick boxes on a list of things that you don't even get to see in order to basically move up the party structure. And so this guy, you know, what's his name? Um, McCarthy, mm-hmm. you know, being a, sh- being a shoe in for the job. Right. What the fuck? What, the, what are the even the qualifications for being a Speaker of the House? Right. Do you know? Um, usually in the political swamp establishment terms, they want someone who can raise money. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's the primary job requirement. Of, right. But, of right. of any politician right right but but that's not really a job spec is it that's not like you've got good knowledge here you've been through x number of levels of certain departments in government or in corporations or both Da-da-da-da. you've got proven team leading skills and whatever else right which you would get in any other job you don't get that in politics at all so any fucking clown can be in there as long as they do the things that the party machine wants right and right. all these people who are who are running power one of each other this is completely meaningless right so so i just i've just you know nancy pelosi doesn't have what redeeming features and jobs does nancy pelosi have i doubt i doubt that if you put pit put her into a into an investment bank she'd last five minutes because i doubt she's got the skills to to work in that environment right 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 no so, it's, it's 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 raising money and i think that not that these 
the people who are against McCarthy, they understand the importance of raising money because they wouldn't have won. A lot of them wouldn't have won, right? Like uh, Good, Andy Good, the one out of Ohio, I believe, who doesn't like McCarthy, but McCarthy helped raise $200 million to put into his campaign. So Andy Good probably wouldn't have won. But the problem is, is that, that they don't believe that that's everything that the speaker should be able to do. And that doesn't really help the people. That doesn't help the American people that the, the guy can raise money. All that helps are the people who are running for Congress, right? It doesn't help the American people. So they want to be able to help the American people. And they believe by helping the American people means running these committees so that things actually get done. And there's real accountability. You know, uh, looking at not spending, you know, sending billions and billions of dollars, a blank check to the Ukraine every other month. They think these are the things that what people want and will help the American people. And they don't think McCarthy is going to stand up for those things. I mean, McCarthy has indeed signed off on all these payments to Zelensky, you know, so they they don't want that anymore. And they don't want these pro forma hearings that aren't going to go anywhere. that are just going to say, well, you know, we, we scratched the surface. We did our job. Now we're moving on. They want real accountability, which they didn't feel they got with Benghazi. They didn't. You know, all they got was that big. All they got out of Benghazi was that sound clip of Hillary saying, what does it matter how they die? You know, that clip of Hillary saying, what does it matter mm. now? You know, that they all died. That, that's what they got out of it. But they didn't get any real, you know, accountability out of it. So this they want they want real change. They want, well, they look, Mike, Barbie I think you're crediting people here. Look, you pointed out two things that McCarthy or whoever running around raising money for other people in his party so that they can campaign and stay in power is just what? It's a form of the favor bartering system, isn't it? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Now I want to go for the for the for the speaker job, so you should vote for me because I got how I helped you out in your campaign. Okay, so now some people are now dissenting from that, right? But right. do you really believe that true accountability and true oversight is ever coming inside the existing system? Because I don't. I mean, the evidence of that is the House Intelligence Committee. It literally has no oversight of anything, which is proven by the fact that it can be lied to by Clapper and others flat out. And he, A, doesn't get doesn't go to jail or get tried when everybody knows that he's provably lying. And B, it shows you that the National Intelligence Committee shows, has been proven repeatedly to have no understanding of what the intelligence complex does in in America. And, that, and, and Twitter is just one more proof of that right either they're lying about not knowing or they literally don't know but either way the net outcome for people is the same right right yeah it's the same yeah so he, the, the thing is that it's um it's at the point now where i can really understand more than ever before this whole idea of having you know someone who is Traditionally, the speaker up until now, whether Democrat or Republican, someone with a lot of experience, right? It's someone who they've been grooming, right? The speaker like Pelosi, like Hakeem Jeffries, you know, grooming, grooming these people, ready to be the next person, ready to step in. And that's what McCarthy is. He's been groomed all these years, been waiting all these years. So there's the idea of some people believe that experience is what's important, right? And other people believe, the other side believes, that maybe that is just too well-groomed too much of the establishment, too much of the same old, same old, and that that needs to change. And we need someone who's a little bit more on the outside, a little more of an outsider, someone who's not so perfectly groomed, but will also but will be there to enact real change. So mm. 
there there are those two camps. There are those two camps, and the more I hear from that camp that thinks, you know, we have to end this grooming, you know, we have to have someone who, you know, is from the outside, the outside the establishment, who's going to drain the swamp, if you will, for lack of a better phrase. The more I kind of find myself on that side of things, the more I find myself on that side of things. But I don't want this to drag on forever. You know, they need to they need to figure out one way or the other. They need to figure out who they're going to go with, which way they're going to well, go, just, and just do it. Uh, okay, in in the in the British parliamentary system, we have a thing called a whip. Do you know what that is? Well, we have the whip here too. Yeah. The, okay, the, the, so I'll explain what it is for us and see if it's the same for you. Yeah. So a party whip is in the Tory party. Uh, a, a, an office holder who basically sets the rules, demands, and standards for mm-hmm. MPs to conform to. Mm-hmm. And so, in the concept of having the whip withdrawn, is mm-hmm. where you've pissed off the party and you diverge from it, and mm-hmm. then essentially they're kicking you out because you're saying that you're not towing the line anymore. That's the term. And so, when you're under, the, when you're being whipped, you're basically being told you must turn up and you must vote in this way because the cabinet. Or the, the party is telling you to, no matter what you think as an individual MP, do it or you're in deep shit, right? Is that what a whip means to you in, in America as well? Basically, yeah. I mean, once again, I, I'm not, you know, a congressional expert, but I, basically that's what it means here, too. It's the same thing. OK, yeah. so so does the speaker of the majority house speaker and the minority house speaker perform similar kind of control functions? Say that again. Repeat that again. Does the minority house speaker and the majority house speaker, do they perform similar functions to that? Because I believe so, within their parties, yes. Right, okay. Yeah. So bear this in mind. On YouTube, there is a video of, from about 1978 or something like that of, a, of an interview with the Tory whip at the time. I can't remember his name. And he's actually being asked to explain what is the role of a whip. And he says, literally, pretty much this is close to verbatim. Well, our job is obviously to get to know all of the MPs, know know, know everything they're up to and what, what kind of people they are. And then basically, if they ever have any problems, they come to us first and foremost, you know, whether that's whether that's uh, political issues, some kind of something that pops crops up out of nowhere, constituency problems, financial problems or small boys. And then we make sure that they get those those problems go away. Right. That's right. what this guy said in this interview, right? Now, if you then contain that point of view of, if you if you then consider that point of view in the context of the House, in the context of the speakers, and in the context of control, if 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 McCarthy has been set up for a control job, right? What exactly does that mean, right? That that means something about when you say groomed for the position, it also implies then that he is channeled into understanding a lot of the ways to manipulate a lot of the people in that room. Right. Right. And then, and then when people go against that, that's upsetting the status quo for different reasons. Right. right. So, you know, it's not just, it's, it's, it's not su- the superficiality of, of cash. It's, it's that plus so much more, but um, I honestly believe, I know that it sounds pathetically cynical, but no matter what you will not get, real accountability most of what we're seeing now is is, is spectacle and uh, and even if you get a different guy in they'll just put him in the seat but eventually they'll just be basically saying well okay you, you've got limits to what you can choose to do and how much of a maverick you can be but we've still got a way to control you we've still got a way to limit what you're doing and we've still got a way to rein in all these other people who want to do something else you know so don't yeah. hold your thumb change 
No, I know. I, I, look, I'm not. I'm, I'm just. I'm just saying that you know, there's got to be. We want in order to move policy forward. They have to take care of this. You know, they have to take care of this, and they probably shouldn't have waited so long to do it. But uh, you know, I think McCarthy was just assuming because he's made for this job. He was going to be able to get the votes on day one that they'd all fall in line. And these people are, they're not going to do it. They're just not. Well, let's, what, yeah. on just, on just my finishing point on speakers yeah. Yeah. is that there are now significant um, alt media rumors about um, Pelosi and the Pelosi and DePap um, situation. And apparently that is, go, that is potentially quite the hot potato it, and they may not be able to suppress some of the aspects of what the pap really is, right? That's going to come back. You're saying that's coming back. I thought that was all. That dark. is that is not gone away, right? Really? The, uh, if you go and have a look at Zero Hedge, keep an eye on that, and you'll find there was some there was something I can't remember whether they of Zero Hedge. Or... Zero Hedge is one of the pages that the government wanted banned. Yeah, that's you? right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I followed it for years, and it's worth having in your news purview. Trust me, even if Absolutely. you don't like it, it's worth right. keeping in the news purview. You'd be surprised at how much prescient stuff is in there, right? Yeah. Uh, well ahead of time as well. Um, but yeah, they've floated like basically there's something very fucking dodgy about Dupap in that house, and it's not going to be secret. It's some of it is not staying secret. So yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I, I do. I believe yeah. there's a lot more to the story than we were told. So totally, she'll have it. You know, it'll it'll be egg on face for both right. her and uh, yeah. her old husband. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Gator. I appreciate it. All right, all right. Uh, I'll take more calls. I want everyone to stay there. Don't go anywhere. Um, uh, but I do want to talk before we get too late to this because I promised this the the Twitter files and there are a lot as Daniel alluded to. There were two Twitter files um, today. And, and both by Matt Taibbi, the ones I saw here, and and the ones by Taibbi, the two by Taibbi, the first one was why Twitter let the intelligence community in. And the second one was Twitter and the FBI belly button. And if we go through these, you know, there's a lot to go through. But um, the the one about the intelligence community, why they let the intelligence community in, uh, has a lot to do, once again, as we've seen so far. Um, of the intelligence community saying we want these, we we believe these accounts should be, you know, looked at. These accounts should be canceled. These accounts should be suspended and deleted. And, uh, you know, giving their, their reasons, which of course were always bullshit, had nothing to do with national security, but they would pretend they did. Um, and just, you know, incredibly stupid things that satire accounts, obvious, obvious satire accounts that is actually stunningly scary that FBI agents didn't understand they were satire accounts and wanted them to be suspended or, or deleted. And so this is basically the first thing that Taibbi put out today was about uh, why, why Twitter let the intelligence community. Once Twitter began rolling over for Congress in 2016, the ending was inevitable. Formal surrender to the intelligence community on content moderation. This is, I saw a movie called Let the Right One In, and it's a really good foreign film. It was remade. Don't, don't, don't look, don't see the American version, the foreign film version. And that was basically about, you know, the vampire. You let the vampire in. Once you let the vampire in, it's all over. And uh, this is the same thing. Once they let the, the intelligence community in, once they let them in, they said, we're going to be your friends and we're going to do as you say. That was the end. It was the end. They were then taken over, basically, 
by the intelligence community. Twitter became basically the FBI and the CIA. That's what they were. They were owned by them. And they asked people there like uh, Baker, Jim Baker, who was a former FBI agent. So they were totally uh, engulfed, engulfed like a shark eating, uh, eating someone. They were engulfed by the FBI and the intelligence communities. Once they let them in, they were taken over. And like the body snatchers, they became the intelligence community. And so this first thing by, by Matt Taibbi um, is really about that. If you go to his Substack or if you go on Twitter, it's why Twitter let the intelligence community in. And there's just stunning stuff there. I mean, stunning, stunning. I, you know, this goes so deep, so deep into First Amendment violations, freedom of speech violations, freedom of privacy violations. It's, it's just it shows that the FBI and, and the people at Twitter, most of them, not all of them, but most of them at Twitter had no care about the, the, the Constitution, the, the, the Bill of Rights. They didn't give a shit. They, didn't, they were able to justify in their brain that what they were doing was going to help mankind was for the greater good. And it didn't matter how many how, how many people's rights they violated. It really didn't. And um, I might get into this more tomorrow, but I, the one I think is even more interesting is uh, is the second one he put out, which is Twitter and the FBI belly button. And this also goes a little bit into Adam Schiff. Uh, Adam Schiff wanted a journalist, Paul Sperry. Paul Sperry, S-P-E-R-Y, is on Twitter now. <laughs> he actually responded to this. But Adam Schiff wanted his account suspended over reporting on a Trump whistleblower. And this comes from the, this is actually written today in the New York Post after this uh, Matt Taibbi dump was put out. And I'll get to the Taibbi dump in a minute, but Adam Schiff tried to get journalists suspended from Twitter to have any and content related, any and all content related to House Intelligence Committee staffers removed from the site. In Tuesday's installment of the ongoing Twitter files, independent journalist Matt Taibbi posted a November 20th 2020 email regarding a request from the California Democrats office to suppress suppress free speech on the social media platform. Taibbi called an example of the astonishing variety of requests from officials for individuals they didn't like to be banned. It was, I'm adding this, but this is from the Taibbi files. One Twitter employee said at one point, my inbox is inundated. Once again, once they let the wrong people in, these people took over. They said, oh, you know, think about it. You, you, you do a request. Think of how powerful that makes you feel. You request that this person's account be suspended. They do it. Okay. How about this other person? Oh, while you're at it, how about these 35 people? And this is what happened. Um, and, then they, and then people at Twitter even began to say, this is ridiculous. This is getting scary, but they could not control it anymore once the intelligence community took over. Taibbi called the case. The journalist in question was Paul Sperry, a Post columnist who in January of 2020 wrote an article for Real Clear Investigations about the purported whistleblower behind former President Trump's first impeachment, for which Schiff served as a House manager. In the article, Sperry said then CIA analyst Eric Ciaramella, Ciaramella was overheard talking in the White House with Sean Misko a holdover staff from former President Barack Obama's administration. A former official who reportedly heard the conversation told Sperry just days after Trump was sworn in, they were already trying to get rid of him. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Misko later left the White House and joined the Intelligence Committee with Schiff chaired, Sperry reported. The email posted by Tabby shows Schiff's office asked Twitter to take five specific steps 
that an unidentified company employee said were related to alleged harassment from QAnon conspiracy theorists. This is just, once again, the words they throw out to get things done, right? They say, oh, this is QAnon, this is white supremacy, this is Proud Boys, this is domestic terrorism. They included remove any and all content about Mr. Misko and other committee staff from its service to include quotes, retweets, and reactions to that content. In response, another unidentified Twitter employee wrote, no, this isn't feasible. We don't do that. Schiff's office was also asked for suspension of the many accounts, including Greg Rubini, know him, and Paul Sperry, which have reportedly promoted false QAnon conspiracies and harassed someone whose name is blacked out. The Twitter employee responded to that by writing, we'll review these accounts again, but I believe name blacked out mentioned only one actually qualified for suspension. In email Tuesday, Sperry told the Post, I have never promoted any QAnon conspiracies, ever, not on Twitter, not anywhere. Schiff was just angry. I added his impeachment whistleblower, and he tried to get me banned. So he added this guy who said from day one, we're going to get this guy impeached. From day one, they said to Trump, remember all the shit that Republicans took, and many believed rightfully so, when Obama was sworn in and they were supposedly overheard saying that, we have to make this guy a one-term president. Remember how disastrous that was for Republicans when they were overheard saying, oh, let's make him a one-term president. Like that is actually a thing. Like that is actually a, uh, um, is, is there anything wrong with that? Why would a party, why would the opposing party not want the opposing party's president to be a one? What is the opposing party supposed to say? Oh, let's get, let's make sure this guy gets reelected. That was just a natural thing to say. But because he was the first black president, they made it a thing that the awful Republicans were conspiring to make Barack Obama, the first black president, a one term president. Well, that's what every party does. They all want to make the opposing party's president a one term president. How insane. But do you remember how the mainstream media went crazy over that? Oh, they conspired to, to say the black president should only serve four years. Oh, my God. Yet look at this. This is the Democrats that as soon as Trump won, because their Madame Hillary was embarrassed, and of course they blame Russia, Russia. This is how you, once again, this is all the Clinton campaign and the Democrats and Adam Schiff coming up with the Russia, Russia, Russia nonsense to make Trump an illegitimate president, to make that election illegitimate. And this goes into more evidence of that, that on day one, they said, we're going to get this guy impeached. We're going to start impeachment from day one before the guy even took office, before he did anything. So that was the person that Sperry, that was the whistleblower that Sperry outed that fucking pissed Schiff off. And that's why he wanted Sperry. Now, remember, if there was no truth to this, Schiff would just say there's no truth to this. It's ridiculous. But Schiff knew it was the truth. And he knew this guy, Sperry, would be very dangerous. Oh, my God. He might hurt their chances of impeaching this guy, Trump. He might, he, might, he might do more honest reporting. We have to get rid of him quick. Going back to the article. <clears throat> Schiff was angry. I outed his impeachment whistleblower and tried to get me banned. I challenged Schiff to produce evidence to back up his defamatory remarks to Twitter. And he should sue Schiff. I hope he does. Sperry also said this is a scurrilous smear. He seems like he's ready to sue him, but par for the course for the unscrupulous chairman Schiff. In August, Sperry told conservative commentator Glenn Beck that he was permanently suspended from Twitter in the wake of the FBI search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago club. 
they kicked me off the day after Trump's home was raided. And I was in the middle of tweeting more about the raid. And I got a message popping up saying I was permanently suspended. No reasons were given, he said at the time. On Tuesday, Sperry suggested that Schiff may have been behind that move, probably was, saying, looks like Schiff's office initially got friction from Twitter. Still, I was banned just a few months after his request. There was subs- were there subsequent demands from Schiff? May explain why Twitter would never give me a reason for being banned, he added. Schiff Chief of Staff Patrick Boland didn't immediately return requests for comment. After buying Twitter, $44 billion, Musk hired a team of independent journalists to review. The public deserves to know what really happened, uh, uh, Elon Musk said. So this is the first installment details what is cracked down on the post October 4th. So once again, this is more, they remember they wanted to ban the post's Twitter page simply because they reported on the Hunter Biden story, all right? Then they wanted to ban this guy, Sperry, who was a writer for the post, simply because he outed this whistleblower who said from day one, they were planning on finding ways to impeach Donald Trump before he ever did anything that, of course, would have been impeachable because you have to be president and do things that are illegal, uh, high crime misdemeanors as president to be impeached. So he hadn't even taken office yet. Once again, this is how the mainstream media rolls. A non-story that the opposing party is going to do whatever they can to make Barack Obama a one-term president. That gets great traction. That was such a scandal. Oh, my goodness. Look at these backroom dealings trying to get try, trying to make the opposing party's president only a one-term president. And this thing, of course, you have to go. We have to go. We have to wait years and years and go through. And a, a billionaire has to take over Twitter before we find out these things. And of course, even now, the Post will report about it. Mike Chopley will report about it. The Fox News will report about it. But forget about the mainstream media reporting about it. This will be a non-story. It'll be a non-story that Adam Schiff and the Democrats wanted to find a reason to impeach Trump and said talked about impeaching him on January twentieth of twenty seventeen. Not not a story. Non-story. Incredible. Just incredible. Once again, maybe I have an ability that most people don't have to look at somebody. Forget about spending five minutes. I can spend five minutes in a room with somebody and I'll tell you if they're a good person or a scumbag. But to look at Adam Schiff on television, to look at his interviews, to watch him speak, all these years, and to not think, not to know the guy is a huge skivoos, to not get the creeps from looking at this guy and his eyes and the way he talks. I don't get it. I, I think you have to be, you have, you have to have no ability to read body language, no ability to, of the human condition, to not be able to see what a creepy person this is. What a creepy individual this is. I mean, the man has such dead, soulless eyes that I would never trust anything, he says, let alone something as important as Russia, conspiracies, Russia, and the election, interfering with elections. I mean, I wouldn't trust the guy to give me the time of day, the temperature the forecast of rain or snow. I would not trust him as a weatherman, let alone as such an important, powerful political figure. But some people don't have that ability that I have, I guess. What is it, a sixth sense? No, that was 
the sixth sense that was seeing dead people. I see soulless people. <laughs> I see soulless people. Uh, you know what? I'm going to get a little bit more to this today, but let me let me go to let me go to William. He's been waiting politely for a while, and then maybe we'll talk more about Taibbi's discoveries, or we'll push it to tomorrow. We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll decide. But let's go to uh, let's go to Bill. Bill, how you doing? Hey, Mike. Um, quick, a lot to cover. Um, well, first of all, I know. So much, there's so much going on today. All of a sudden, day one of the new year, really, when you know everyone's back at work and everything explodes on the first day. Right, right, crazy, right, right. crazy. Um, I want to say so, Daniel. I'd like to hear sometime. Uh, he talked about how he competitively ran and bis- and cycled. Oh, uh, that, that was, was Gator. That was Gator. Oh, that was Gator. Oh, no yeah, kidding. Daniel, I thought it was Daniel walks 15 miles a day, but Gator was the one with the competitive biking and cycling and running and all this thing. Yeah. Oh, did I? I thought I read Daniel did that. Did I not read that? Right? They're both, anyway, they're both anyway. Daniel is the athlete of the United States, and Gator is the athlete of, of the UK. That's all. That's it. That's oh, it. Nope. Daniel's saying, nope, not me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Daniel, okay, I don't think go. Daniel likes bicyclists. I think he's you know, he doesn't like <laughs> he doesn't like <laughs> my father had a bicycle shop most of my life pedal bike shop so that's why I was curious when, um one thing real quick the the guys who would come in who were runners their whole lives they'd be like my cartilage is shot I can't run anymore doc tells me I got a cycle and uh, it happened all the time uh, guys look terrific in their cartilage they just all they did, they weren't cross-training. If they were just running, 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 by the time they were 55, 60, they had trouble. And uh, so that happened on a regular basis. But um, anyway, moving on from that, um, uh, let's see. So in the live chat, I put some things first. Well, let me, let me just get to one thing in the live chat that, that's funny before you talk. Misty, <laughs> Misky wrote, I have a beautiful picture of Adam Schiff above my bed. I love the way... <laughs> His eyes follow me across my mattress. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you know what? I'm laughing, but I guarantee you there are plenty of liberals out there. Maybe some in my city who do have photos of Adam Schiff above their bed. <laughs> next, to, next to Fauci, right? <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. I digress. Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. Well, don't you know, David Icke says they're reptilians. Come on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, right, exactly. They got no soul, right? They're reptilian. Anyway, um, okay, so when you were talking about Congress and are we going to have another pro forma, you know, committees and nothing really happens, I think I put an article in about popular investments in Congress, how Basically, most Congress people are invested in big, you know, combination of big pharma, big tech banks, energy giants. And so this is why I think we follow the money. We don't see those committee hearings ever leading anywhere. You follow me? Yes. Yes. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they don't want to lose any money in their stocks, first of all. But right. also, they're, in, right. they're indebted. You know, they, they, in other words... <sighs> They're essentially bought out, you know. They get they take their their 
committee, uh, some of those committee hearings lead to tips for them for their stock trades. Yes. You follow me? Yeah. So this is the problem. And it's, it's I, I don't, you know me, I'm not into the right-left paradigm. As far as I'm concerned, it's just a, a toxic soup <laughs> Congress, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Unfortunately. So, um, okay, so that was one couple of things I put there and then moving on from that. Oh, oh, you talk about fear and panic buying. Wait till, did you know the John Hopkins University, uh, Bill Gates Foundation, the World Health Organization, of course, the CDC is in on this. The 2025 Sears pandemic, it's all been tabletopped, right? Just like they had Event 201. And this one is, let's see, severe epidemic, right? Catch those two first words, severe epidemic and terror virus respiratory syndrome that's meant to drive panic. Listen to the first two words. Do you follow me? Right. Severe epidemic, right? In the start of it. So people in terrorize, what the hell is that? You know what I mean? And so they got that all tabletopped out. We'll see when that happens. Uh, that's their 2025, uh, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, just insanity. Um, and then just for people uh, not to panic, um, there's a PubMed, uh, which is um, the NIH Open Access Medical Journal. Uh, you can go to PubMed to access that. Um, and I put a link in there uh, in the live chat for zinc and zinc ionophores, which effective versus coronavirus, uh, RNA virus, which they say this next one will be, um, arterivirus, and if you read the abstract, even polio. Now they say this next pandemic is going to be related to the polio virus and potentially leave kids uh, partially paralyze them with some type of brain damage. The the really remember when Bill Gates and his wife were talking at about COVID. They, one time, remember I could go find that, and they towards the end of the conversation, they looked at one another and said, "Well, you know, the next one will get their attention. The next." Uh, pandemic. Yeah, I don't know if you saw they, that clip. They smirked and they giggled. Yeah. Yes. Yes. When they, uh, can you imagine? So they have this severe, you know, epidemic and terror virus, respiratory syndrome waiting for us right when the, they decided to pull that one, throw the markets into a panic and talk about panic buying. And then you're going to see mandatory vaccinations for sure. Do you see what I mean? Oh my God. If you don't get vaccinated, kids are going to end up partially paralyzed and with brain damage you see what i mean I it's like, yeah yeah i mean don't be surprised you know i'm like oh boy they're really he's going to get our attention all right you know what i mean brother well big like, farm has the money to put out I'm, I'm still seeing ads in california a big farm is still putting out ads saying the vaccine's safe and effective they have never of course they're, they, they're still putting out instead of just shutting up about it they're so brazen that this putting out ads saying the vaccine's safe and effective get your get your six-month-old vaccinated once again, we need someone, oh, it could be Elon Musk, it could be someone like Elon Musk with a lot of money who could start doing an alternate campaign against this campaign, saying, showing all these young athletes dropping dead or collapsing. Right. If you want this to happen to your, if you, if you want this to happen to your child, get the vaccine. What we need is a counter campaign like that. So parents will be afraid for the, to get their children vaccinated. And mm-hmm. once again, once we have people afraid, appropriately afraid, uh, to get their children vaccinated, then the, the, the vaccine will die away. 
because that's what they mm. want. They want to put this on the schedule, just like all the other vaccines, like measles, mumps, rubella. That's what they. That's what Big Pharma wants. That's their. That's that's their holy grail, right? Yeah, and then hopefully to fight that, we got Ron DeSantis and Ron Johnson. DeSantis saying they had a roundtable meeting going on maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago, where he said they were going to put together like an intelligence committee for coronavirus to fight the propaganda coming from where? From basically the 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 FDA, the CDC, you know, Fauci's type of thing. While you're on with me, I want to I want to get to this before before I end the show. Okay, important because yesterday I talked about the hits, right? Uh, Hamlin being hit and. And the latest is that he's getting better. Hopefully that he doesn't need as much oxygen as he was needing. So hopefully he gets better. But I was talking about the hits and how uh, I was worried about the knee jerk reaction on, 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 on social media about saying, OK, it's the vaccine. And I related to that to when the left wing does that whenever there's a shooting Oh, gun control, guns, blame guns, like the knee jerk reaction before you even get into the nuts and bolts of what happened. And that if we don't want the left wing to do that, we shouldn't do that when it comes to these incidents. But I also said that there was a possibility that myocarditis can weaken the heart to the point where a hit like that would cause this to happen. Now, today, today, um, Dr. Peter McCullough and the wellness company put out a statement. And McCullough said, um, uh, I watched the play live both as a fan and as a cardiologist, and I saw blunt neck and chest trauma, a brief recovery after the tackle, and then a classic cardiac arrest. I have communicated to one of the most experienced trainers in the world, and we agree that it was a cardiac arrest in the setting of a big surge of adrenaline. If DeMar Hamlin indeed took one of the COVID vaccines, then a subclinical vaccine-induced myocarditis must be considered in the differential diagnosis. In other words, chain reaction. Right. You have the vaccine giving him myocarditis, which weakens the the heart. Then the hit happens and this happens. So it is not you cannot you cannot say right away, obviously, that the vaccine caused this. You can't and you shouldn't say that. But you can say there is a possibility, not that it's definite. And I was not saying that he wants investigations. And the first investigation is, does the guy get the vaccine? If he didn't get the vaccine, then you stop right there. Right. Like you're writing a thesis, you stop there. The hypothesis is gone. But if he did get the vaccine, which he probably did, I think they all had to, to play, then there is a possibility that the, because we know that the vaccine is causing myocarditis, especially in young people, young athletic people are getting it the most. So there's a possibility it would cause myocarditis, which would weaken the heart, and then the hit would happen, and this would happen. But all McCullough is saying is that we have a right to talk about it, a right to investigate it, and a right to know if he's vaccinated, and a right to alert other people that this is a possibility if the investigation takes us there. Now, something happened on Twitter. I probably shouldn't go on Twitter, but um, (laughs) I can't help it. I'm obsessed. I'm addicted. And I go on, and that asshole who's no longer a congressman, thankfully, uh, Adam Kinzinger, goes crazy on Charlie Kirk, calling him like the scum of the earth, the worst individual to ever live, simply because he says, after this happened, there's that, you know, he blames the vaccine, basically. Or he says that young athletes continue to die, continue to have heart attacks, continue to drop on the field of play in football and soccer and so on and so forth over the last two years. 
and 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 here's another example of 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 that being a possibility. And 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 Adam Kinja went nuts. He went nuts. He called him the worst guy in the world. Now wait a minute. Okay, you can maybe make the point that he jumped the gun a little bit, Charlie Kirk. Okay, fine. Maybe maybe he's wrong. Maybe he's not in this case. But who exactly is Charlie Kirk hurting with that statement? Who is he hurting? Well, let's see. The only not a person. He's not hurting a person by saying that. Who cares? It's a hypothesis. What person would it hurt? It's not hurting a person. It hurts Big Pharma. That's the only entity a comment like that can possibly penetrate and hurt is Big Pharma. It's hurting the feelings of Big Pharma. It's hurting their vaccine sales. It could hurt their vaccine sales. Not that it would. And that's what Adam Kim Kinzinger is most upset about, is that his buddies that he has sucked up to his entire career might be hurt by this. They might sell one fewer vial of vaccine because of uh, Charlie Kirk's comments. God for fucking bid. All right. That's what Adam Kinzinger cares about. Big Pharma hurting the think about that, hurting the feelings of Big Pharma is what bothered Adam Kinzinger, former, thank God, congressman. The people of that district in Illinois know what a scumbag this guy is. And his whole and his whole Trump derangement syndrome, Trump derangement syndrome, right? That's another part of this. It's going to go unsaid from now on because you know the Trump derangement syndrome. We know Kinzinger is one of the top Trump derangement syndrome examples of a person with Trump derangement syndrome in Congress. Adam Kinzinger, right? Adam Schiff, the Adams, Kinzinger, Schiff, of course, of course, Cheney, Liz Cheney. And so it's the Trump derangement syndrome combined with this love of big pharma that would cause someone to say such a ridiculous thing. I mean, he called Charlie Kirk the worst names. The worst names, simply talking about young athletes dropping dead at record rates, which is true, being concerned Charlie Kirk is concerned so much about young athletes dropping dead now that he may have jumped a gun on this one. So what? I think exposing to more people, which Adam Kinzinger just helped him do, by the way, that young athletes are dying at record numbers is more, is, is more important than protecting big pharma's profits or the feelings of, 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 of Borlas and people in big pharma. But this is where Adam Kinzinger's priorities lie, right? Trump derangement syndrome and and sucking up to big pharma. Where all Democrat, most Democrats and most progressives values where their priorities have, have, have been the last three years. Trump derangement syndrome and sucking up to big pharma. That's what would cause someone like that to say something so ridiculous. I mean, really, the, the guy's the worst guy in the world for pointing out that young athletes are dying. How dare he do that? How da- Yet when Adam Kinzinger's side goes crazy, when a lunatic shoots a few people, his side goes nuts. And right away, gun control, blame guns, get rid of the Second Amendment. That's fine. That kind of jumping the gun knee-jerk reaction is fine. But, you know, Charlie Kirk pointing out the truth about young athletes dying at a record number that's horrible how could how could what a what a what a vile person he is for doing this
It's incredible. It's really incredible. Bill, did you want to finish up? I'll let you finish up the show if you want to. Did you want to comment on that or anything else? I just want, yeah, hold on. Sorry, I got to put you back on there. Uh, yeah, I just want you to comment because, you know, you're the football. You're going to be the official football guy on this show. You're going to be the football expert. <laughs> so, Thank you. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think this Pete McCullough is just saying we need to know more about why this happened. That's all. And if, if the vaccine possibly could have caused it. Absolutely. The vaccine, we know... It causes inflammation in the heart tissue and the sac around it. So you have myocarditis, pericarditis. If you already got that weakness and you catch a blow like that, you're going to be more susceptible, obviously, to having a problem. So it, this, Peter McCullough is so terrific, isn't he? You know, he just, he, from the beginning of this, he's been not, not to mention his whole career. He's, he's excellent top cardiologist in, Probably the world, even if you think about it. You yeah, know, but we, should, period, we, should, we should trust Adam Kinzinger more than Peter McCullough. And, and I guess Adam Kinzinger thinks Peter McCullough is the worst vile individual in the world, right? It's absolute insanity. It is. You know? Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah, but, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's the problem with, you know, and, and my guess is, I don't know if we'll find out or not. And, you know, I don't know, right? You know, I believe in medical privacy. So I would say it's up to Hamlin himself to tell us if he's vaccinated or not. But my guess is there's there's very little chance he's not, right? Because those players had to be vaccinated to play, didn't they? I I would be honest with you, I'm not sure, but it it may be because they're in the locker room together and plus they're exchanging a lot of sweat and fluids on the field, even blood at times. They they went crazy on, what's his name? Aaron Rodgers, remember? Because they said he lied and they thought he was vaccinated, but he wasn't and they they wanted to cancel him for that. So That's I, right. yes. most of these guys, these young guys just went along. You know, a guy like Aaron Rodgers has been in the league for a while as a veteran. But I think most of these young guys, all of them probably just went along with it. You know, they probably were maybe uh, instructed by their trainers that I don't know. You know, I don't want to speculate too much. But I think obviously finding out his vaccine status, number of boosters and. Yeah, all that stuff know, matters now. It all matters. Yeah. It all matters. Plus, they probably can do some EKGs and stuff and see also some other type scans uh, to find out if he has any uh, myocarditis from the vaccine, I would think. Um, see if he has any heart inflammation that is separate from this. Because this blow isn't going to – well, I don't know. What well, Peter McCullough doesn't want, and I understand this because this is what's happened so much, is he doesn't want this hospital, these doctors who were examining him now, to hide this stuff. Right. That's what he right. does. He wants them to give the full report of what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And he's right. Then they and they should. Yeah. It's, it's their responsibility. Yeah. And unfortunately, as we see, um, money is the root of all evil and it has a huge influence on then what happens versus what should happen. And, um, I don't, I, you know, obviously if, if Dr. Mc, Peter McCullough and Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey, and there were so many, if that were the protocol followed by the CDC, the world health organization, we would have had far fewer deaths and, um, but big farmer wouldn't have made the big bank. There would have been no emergency use authorization necessary. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, uh, 
Uh, it's tragic. It really is. None it was of this so needs offensive. to happen. All that was, was, what's offensive is all the money they've made so far that a guy like Kinzinger is worried that they might not make another $10 billion. You know, it's, 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 it's sad. I mean, between the money that Big Farmer's making and the money we're sending to – if you take the money Big Farmer's made over the vaccines over the last two years and all the money we've sent to the Ukraine over the last year, we could feed and house every single fucking person in this country. I mean, you know that. Yeah. I don't have to tell you. Yeah, I know. I don't have to tell I, you. Well, and, but, and the vaccine damage and loss of life and disability and – it's in, it's incalculable the the effects on as we all know on small businesses on on people's overall health depression suicide opiate addiction i mean what a nightmare mike you know what i mean and yeah. um that's why it needs to be exposed like you said and so that way I'll, but it's like this 2025 tabletop is going to drive people once they break this thing out and you know it's going to come you know how they are. They got it all laid out. The next one's going to get their attention. We are going to see a shitstorm. You know what I mean? I predict. Right. Sometime between now and 2025. Who knows when they're going to spring it? You know what I mean? And um, that'll, then we'll be talking, boy, won't we? Holy shit. Yeah. Man. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. You know, so anything else, Bill? Um, no, we got Jenny in the audience and she's a real vaccine expert Been fighting against the, well, she could speak for her best than anybody. I don't know if you have time to take her, but she's well, if any, if anybody, uh, I'll do a last call for calls. If you have Jenny or anybody else wants to call in and add anything, uh, to this expert knowledge, opinion, or otherwise, you know, a lot's happened today. You know, just, there's just been so much, uh, and, and Bill, I'll, I'll thank you for the, for the call. Um, yeah, but there's so much has happened today. I mean, really, just in one day, <laughs> I knew it would get busy this week, but I didn't realize all of this would happen in one day. I mean, we have, you know, unfortunate thing what what happened with the, at the football game, but now we have two or three Twitter dumps in one day, and you know, we have the Adam Schiff stuff that's come out, and and they and the House Speaker stuff. Whew. Is this going to be the entire year? I want to know if this is going to be the entire. Yeah, Jenny's just here to listen today, which is fine. If you just love the sound, the cadence of my radio voice, <laughs> Jenny, that's fine also. Um, but yeah, so it's, a lot happened today. I think tomorrow we'll save a little bit. We'll do more. And who knows? It could be another Twitter dump. I mean, this, there might be supposed to be Fauci dumps by Friday, right? So there could be more coming tomorrow. But we'll talk more about what the Matt Taibbi uncovered. I'll go through it a little more. And, um, and we'll talk about that. And we'll see if there's any kind of resolution to the speaker issue. It could be the same thing. 24 hours from now, we could be in the same position. Remember, in 1850-whatever, it took two months. We don't want that to happen. We really don't. Um, okay, well, I want to once again remind everyone that this show is called and Let's Be Heard. And it airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, my name is Mike Cachopoli, and I want to remind you, never forget, that your influence counts. Use it.